Bienvenidos. This is a podcast that explores Latinx media and culture in its many forms. I am Dr. Rojo Robles. And I am Dr. Rebecca Elsalois. And we are Latinx and Latin American Studies professors at Baruch College in New York City. In this podcast, we will analyze Latinx film, television, literature, art, and cultures. We will consider how these works are perceived, analyze them, and investigate the real-world reflections and implication of that work on Latinx cultures in the U.S. and beyond. Welcome to Latinx Visions. Bienvenidos, bienvenidas, bienvenides. Welcome back, everyone. Welcome to our final episode for this season. We're going to be bringing you a group interview on queer Latinx theater. In this episode, we'll introduce to you two fantastic New York-based Puerto Rican playwrights who are at different stages of their careers, Javier Antonio Gonzalez and Daniela Gonzalez y Perez. We were able to sit down with them and discuss their experiences as queer Boricua Latinx creators, and we'll be sharing our full conversation with them in this episode. You may notice some sound distortion in the first couple of minutes of the conversation. Uh, I was getting a little bit of buzzing or static through my headset, which was coming through on everyone's speakers. I ended up unplugging them and the audio quality improves drastically after that. So no worries. Uh, the issue lasts at most two, two and a half minutes. So we fixed it as best as we could, but we didn't want to lose Javier's answer to our question. After the conversation concludes, we will come back and provide you with a couple of queer Latinx plays or playwrights that you might wish to check out after you have looked into Javier's and Daniela's work. The first playwright who will introduce themselves in our conversation is Javier Antonio Gonzalez. Javier is a playwright, director, and filmmaker. I met Javier at the University of Puerto Rico, La UPR, in the late 90s, and we became good friends and collaborators in different projects during the years. Javier is the artistic director of Caborca, and they have served in this capacity since the founding of this bilingual theater ensemble over a decade ago. For over a decade, they have authored numerous work with Caborca, including Line Lydia, Distant Star, which is a work adapted from Roberto Bolaño's novel of the same title, Zoe Trope, Open Up Hadrian, Barceloneta de Noche, and Floridita, My Love. Their film, The Entitlement, was released in 2018, and it is about a young woman who, upon arriving at an idyllic retreat for the suicidal, finds herself investigating a mysterious death away from the watchful eye of an enigmatic doctor and his wife. Javier also directed the short film Patitos Comiendo Arroz, inspired by the queer writings of Manuel Ramos Otero, a groundbreaking escritor diasporican. Javier earned their Bachelor of Arts from the University of Puerto Rico and their MFA from Columbia University School of the Arts. They've taught at Dreamyard Prep, LaGuardia Community College, and recently they directed a production of Electra at Barnard College and uh, one of The Lower Depths at NYU. They were a band leader directing fellow, a public theater's emerging writers group member, and a recipient of a Global Connections in the Lab grant from Theater Communications Group. The second playwright to introduce themselves in our conversation is Daniela Gonzalez y Perez. Daniela is a queer Puerto Rican actor, playwright, and teaching artist who was born and raised in Brooklyn. They earned their Bachelor of Fine Arts in Acting from Brooklyn College and have also trained at HP Studio and Terry Schreiber Studio. They are a proud member of Inter's Unit 52 and the Latinx Playwrights Circle and a teaching artist for the Manhattan Theatre Club. They are currently acting in the 30th Marathon of One Act Plays, which take place at the Ensemble Studio Theatre here in New York and have been in two world premieres, one with Rattlestick Theatre and one with Inter Theatre. Some of their plays include Alien Strippers, The Martian King, and Unofficial Girlfriend, among others. Their writing explores the intersections of race, ethnicity, gender, and sexuality, and religion through fantasy, magical realism, science fiction, and, as they call it, that Brooklyn shit. Their goal is to confront and or reject societal norms, barriers, and the displacement of different peoples. Daniela was a 2022 fellow in the Latinx Playwrights Circle Intensive Mentorship Program mentored by Migdalia Cruz. This resulted in an industry reading of the play Angel y Chupi, the reinvented queer tale of the Puerto Rican Chupacabra. 
Today we have two playwrights with us. Um, would like you to introduce yourselves. We have Javier and Daniela. Javier, if you want to start us off. Hello. Hi. Thank you for having me. Um, I'm Javier Antonio Gonzalez. I use they, them pronouns. I am a playwright director from Puerto Rico, where I went to school also at the drama department and then moved to New York some almost 20 years ago, where I've been a professor and educator in different places and, um, and where I founded Caborca Theater and I'm the, arti I'm the artistic director of it. And, um, of which I am artistic director, and uh, um, I have produced several plays uh, with the company and a couple of films as well. Thank you for having me. And Daniela? Awesome. Hello, my name is Daniela Gonzalez y Perez. I go by they, she pronouns, and I'm a playwright, actor, and teaching artist from Brooklyn, New York. And yeah, I kind of just started my playwriting career in the past uh, few years. So I'm very excited to be here. Thank you. Yeah. Excited to have you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really happy to have you. Uh, today we're going to have a, a free-flowing conversation. So yeah, the idea is like to exchange ideas, all of us to exchange ideas together. Yeah. Uh, so I would like to start uh, start us off. Yeah, empezar with a question about precisely like to dig deeper on your journey as playwrights. And so can you give us uh, uh, and our listeners an overview of your journey as a playwright? Uh, how did you start it? Uh, how has your writing uh, practice developed? Uh, is it linked, uh, Javier, you mentioned Caborca, so maybe you can expand on that as well. Is it linked to a group, an organization, or an institution? Yeah, anything you want to share about your playwriting journey? Yeah, thank you. I, in, in thinking about this, uh, the invitation, I was thinking about, well, queerness specifically. My first play, it's called Agathon, and I wrote it pretty much as, as a directing student at Columbia University. Uh, out of uh, inspired by fragments of this uh, Greek philosopher and playwright Agathon, but by fragments of Plato, uh, speaking of the playwright uh, and tragedian Agathon, and it's a whole questioning of love, of love relations. It, it was um, without even knowing. I mean, the first scene exchanges two babies, a male and a female, and they kind of swap them to strangers in the park. So it had these things that I wouldn't have called them, you know, necessarily the binary at the time, but that it really expressed this like tensions, you know, and that happened at Columbia. And right after that, with Caborca, we began, I did Barcelona Italia Noche and Floridita My Love. Um, somewhat dark comedic worlds uh, of also dreamlike states and places. And some both theatrical, uh, Barcelona Italia Noche is a whodunit who also combines this closeted man in a small town in Puerto Rico with a Nazi, uh, something that happened little in Puerto Rico, but it did take place, you know, runaway Nazis. So um, from there, I mean, I, I'm thinking specifically about the theme, you know, but I I feel like I wrote those plays in through workshops, uh, one by myself, but also through, I studied with Aristides Vargas. I did workshops with him, with Eduardo Machado and Kelly Stewart, who at the time taught at Columbia, and they let me sit in their classes. Um, so there was trial and error as well, I would say, around that time. Uh, those are relatively short pieces, and then there were others that went in different directions, and there were, again, um, I was fortunate to have actors and spaces that would allow me to get the pieces up right away, or, you know, what we consider right away in the theater. Uh, now they take longer in a way to be like fully produced, but at the time we could do it in a way that would get us also an audience, uh, reaction. Um, and then after that, other larger productions such as Open Up Hadrian, uh, which, uh, deals very specifically with, uh, themes of homosexuality and the closet and power. And, and after that, with Zoe Trump, with BDS more specifically with femininity and the place of women in the, in the world. I mean, I like that you were talking about sort of starting off with shorter pieces, smaller pieces that kind of got you into that flow. Daniela, did you sort of have a similar experience with starting with smaller works or did you just like dive fully in? <laughs> so... I come from being an actor, I would say, outwardly first. I, I've always been a writer. I, I was the kid 
in the lunchroom in second grade writing in a book, you know, that was inspired by like the magic tree house when I was little, um, <laughs> these magical <laughs> historical books. Um, so I've always written for myself. I feel like that was the way that I can understand myself deeper and better and understand others. So I've always been a writer, but I, I fell into acting. Um, so growing up kind of acting in school, I, I was reading a whole bunch of plays and it's crazy to me that I didn't really realize until recently, like I've never really read Latinx playwrights and, and I've grown up like years, so many years, like I went to middle school, right? Theater in Park Slope. I went, you know, to Edward M. Murrow High School in Midwood in Brooklyn, um, screen theater, and I've never read any of these things. It wasn't until I found Intar Theater, um, which is a big hub for Latinx um, writers, directors, and actors where I found a space where I can, I can call like a new home, like a community. Um, and I found that outside of college, somebody had found me and brought me into that world. <laughs> so that's kind of how I was drawn into um, the Latinx theater world. And as a writer, I wrote a few plays when I was younger in school. Um, it wasn't until a few years ago where I, I decided I needed to write a, a play about my family based on some recent events that I was really struggling with. And um, it was during the pandemic and a friend at the time, he said, hey, I, I'm part of this writing group. It's called the Latinx Playwright Circle. And they're a non-for-profit and they're coming up and they're an amazing group of artists who are just uplifting Latinx voices. Um, so it wasn't until I started attending those, they call them Sunday Kikis, Sunday service Kikis, where we could just share pieces and talk, literally just talk about how we were feeling, where it started to get serious. And, I, and they gave me an opportunity to share that family play on Zoom as a, as a Zoom reading, a first draft kind of reading that kind of put me into this world and, and gave me all these connections. And I was like, oh, this is important. <laughs> like what we have to say, what we have to say, our feelings and our worlds, and you never know how the way that you put something is going to touch people. So that's kind of what started me into that. Um, yeah, the, the, the community, the importance of community and that um, we all need each other. We all need each other to, to build, to grow, and to survive. And I think during the pandemic, that also showed us that. Yeah, community definitely seems to be a through line in, in both of your experiences. Yeah, because <laughs> uh, Javier, you said you, you're part of another, a different group, yes? Yes, but also I wanted to say, I'm glad you mentioned Intar. That Intar, that's where Eduardo Machado had his writer's workshop and where I wrote a couple of my first plays, including Barcelona, oh, wow. which I mentioned. We were also there for Floridita, so it's always been a place, you know, that has done this for many, many generations. It's really cool that they keep doing it. Um, well, I have a theater company, uh, Caborca. Uh, aside from my work as, as educator and director, I I create with a group of actors, uh, though mostly I'm the writer. There is always a collaboration aspect, even from what the stories are about, what the characters are, who, I mean, who the characters are what um las situaciones no la estética uh, de la obra eh, los mundos que se crean eh, en estos espacios son muy colaborativos en Caborca eh, how we approach a story it's uh very much a collaborative idea or endeavor um and so that plays into a lot of uh not only aesthetics also specifically a type of methodology uh, sort of breakdown of form, the forms that we've gathered. We met, we met mostly in school or with people around the school, which has its own set of, you know, beautiful things and wonderful things. And we also know what that could imply, you know, uh, what it's like to train theater in academia uh, in uh, places that can be highly conventional. Uh, so how do we take that on in the real world or Forget the real world, the present, you know, our world, what, what it is that we're doing. Uh, it's fascinating to do, but we do it definitely in collaboration because we bring a lot of information to the table. Uh, some of it that is being challenged has been for a while, um, specifically, right? Uh, we can speak of decolonizing, of course, of the form of the hierarchies. Mm -hmm. we, we know all of that. So like 
what do we do with that legacy? Um, it's actually really specific to Colombia. Funny that I mentioned Eduardo Machado because he was the only uh, professor who was not white at that time at Columbia University at a master's degree. And we knew that, we, we commented on it, we were aware, but uh, it's still <laughs> it different when, when you really go deep into it uh, and what that means, it, it's very specific, you know? That Eurocentric legacy, Eurocentric legacy that was passed down to us. It, and it was taught to us that way, passed down. Javier, you, you talked about uh, before, and this is a question for both, uh, for both of you, but uh, you talked about, right, like you started talking about, like uh, when talking about your journey, you started to talk also about like how queer uh, characters, topics, uh, concerns and theories started to emerge. And I have that question also for uh, uh, for Daniela, but also uh, then, yeah, you can also like uh, perhaps join in and, and, and dig deeper, right, on, on how that consciousness or how intent that uh, very conscious intention of, of representing queerness started to happen in your in your work. Uh, yeah, it's so interesting because I think for me it's it wasn't a it's not a thought in the in the, in the forward of my mind because that's just how I exist. Mm -hmm. Right. So when I write these characters, I'm not thinking this character needs to be queer or, you know, not. Um, I'm like, okay, what story do I feel like I need to tell at this moment? And then exploring the emotions and the thoughts of those characters. And they just so happen to sometimes be queer. Um, yeah, my latest play that I actually, I was in the um, intensive mentorship program with the Latinx Playwright Circle where they gave me a mentor and my mentor was Magdalia Cruz, who is a Puerto Rican legend of a playwright. And she's incredible. And she was actually the, the mentee of Maria um, Irene Fornes. So there's just like a big, a big, huge legacy there yeah. um, whose place, you know, I still need to catch up on reading, <laughs> you know, after coming from a certain place. Um, and my play was called Angeli Chupi, the reinvented queer tale of the Puerto Rican Chupacabra. So I got to showcase that at an industry reading that I had, and I invited a whole bunch of communities some theater professionals. And it was a beautiful celebration. And when I went into writing that play, my there's an angel character and a chupacabra character. And they were both, you know, genderless. And it was interesting to me because I, I didn't go in with that idea. But when I was like, oh, an angel and chupacabra, like these are spirits. These are genderless spirits. And it made me think about my own gender. And you said decolonizing, right? Decolonizing gender and sexuality and labels. And... I was like, I wrote the angel for myself. And then I was like, wait, could I even play this character? <laughs> you know, I didn't identify at the time with, you know, they pronouns or anything like that. And as I continued writing this play and the more I thought about it, I was like, I believe I'm, I'm a spirit. And if I believe I'm a spirit, a part of my spirit is genderless. And that helped me call myself um, with, with they, she pronouns. So it was like an interesting journey of, of what you kind of write and then what you realize after. Um, but yeah, and from that reading, I realized I had two non-binary actors play the angel and the chupacabra, both Latine, and it was incredible. And I was one of the first times I've ever seen that. And I didn't do it on purpose. <laughs> so it was this beautiful like, celebration of, of these two spirits that I was watching in my play. And I was like, wow, like this is important. <laughs> and the people who came who also felt similarly I think felt that too. And it was really important, I think, for the community, for myself and for those who weren't in that community, just to witness um, these beautiful artists tell this story about, you know, it was it was mixed with religion, reincarnation, um, some Christianity, um, baptism, but in my own kind of recreated, reconstructed way. I, I love exactly. I'm just going to agree with the bit about how it reveals in the writing. It, you know, I, I, one of the plays we're working on, it's called Rubali, and it's about uh, the imminent extinction of the North Atlantic right whale. And I wanted it to be a play without humans, and it became impossible, like global warming. You really cannot do it without humans. So it, they're there, and the characters are called they. It's uh, a an activist 
and them are all these people who are basically special interests, more like a chorus. And I wrote that a while ago, and just I also started writing in in you know in Espanol inclusivo, you know, uh, changing you know the the gender dynamics throughout you know speaking speech, and it was long after that that I decided that I needed to change my pronouns or that I realized I needed to change my pronouns. So it became very clear through my writing first as other things had in the past, my relationship to religion also, I like could see it closer first on the page and then later on to really understand how we got, how it got there, you know, certain things that we just carry and a matter of identity and what it's personal. And I, you know, it goes back to that school of writing with all these great teachers uh, that has to do, you know, around Intar that really has to do with honesty uh, of of character and of the voice that is speaking and that is that is uh, speaking in the case of the theater, in the case of the author writing it, yeah, uh, that voice and its truth. I love that in in both accounts, right? Because now it's making me wonder, like, is does the queer community inform your writing or does your writing inform your role within the queer communities or do you even feel a part of that community for me thinking today i was just um i have to i you know i to me the, my experience of gayness or lgbtq definitely goes back to a drag show and a bar uh so that a lot of my you know uh, aesthetics that I have to do from that place um that aesthetics that have to do with queerness definitely come from a, I wouldn't call it coldness, but from that distance, artifice, beautiness, uh, amazingness of the of the drag show, and definitely the world of the bar as well. Uh, they, it's just definitely part of what it was in my of my formation, you know. And uh, so, in a way, I admit that and and let it just like be a part of of my aesthetic, if you will. Can you re-ask that question? I love how you phrased it. I just want You're talking about like your your determining of like using they as a, a pronoun for yourself. And and I was kind of made me wonder if it was the community, like the queer community that informs your writing, or if your writing informed like how you see yourself within that community. Oh, I'm sorry. I took it back to the yeah to what I understood as like uh, my, my queer community. I yeah, I, I I might not understand the question fully or not know how to how to address it. Yeah, and, and that's fair too, right? Because maybe that's not something you've ever had to sit and and think about. And like we're being super academic here and being like think about your queerness <laughs> and like label that in connection to your writing, right? It might you know kind of like Daniela, you were saying before you know, you just kind of wrote these characters this way. It wasn't necessarily actively intentional, but it, it turned out that way. So I think that's what kind of made me think like, oh, is it the community informing your writing or your writing informing you within that community? I, I will say, I think it's a bit of both, but I will say that for me, I I feel as, as a queer person, I feel like I don't have much of a queer community. I feel like um, the only, I feel like I've found queer community through theater. So that's where I know most um, queer people from. I don't really, you know, hang out at bars or clubs and stuff like that. Even when I did, I feel like it was very much for very specific reasons. People in, in my experience were, were there at certain times. Um, also my, the times that I was in parts of my life doing those things. Um, so it's interesting because I, I feel like only recently through theater and through writing my work, I've found actually others um, that are like me and, and similar to me and who've reached out to me being like, oh, your work and like, this is what you do. And I've been like, wow. So that's my, my writing seems like it's connecting me to more community. But I also think that, I mean, we're, we're all affected by outside things. So I also feel like there must be things that I might not even be as conscious of that are affecting my writing. Cause, queer community, I can say like my, some of my writing is affected by my relationships, you know, with other, you know, queer people. So I think in that sense, that's how it affects my writing. But as groups of community, I would say that's less so at the moment. So a bit of both. <laughs> <Love it. laughs> 
Daniela, uh, uh, I was at, uh, at the reading of your play, the play that you mentioned. Is it called like uh, uh, Chupi and Angel, right? If I'm not yeah, mistaken, or Angel and Chupi, right? Yeah, uh, but I remember like uh, an experience that I remember apart from the text and the performance also was like how like the the chat box, this was a reading uh, made through Zoom, at least the one that I want was uh, made uh, via Zoom. And uh, I remember the chat box like popping at all times. Yeah, so there was a community there like reacting, interacting, uh, uh, commenting on the on, on what was happening on the play. And I was like really like struck by that uh, energy that was happening also uh, between the performance and the audience. So maybe you can uh, uh, comment on that experience. I was I was during the pandemic. I was lucky enough to have two re two Zoom readings of this play with different kinds of groups of people. One was by the Latinx Playwright Circle, and they kind of kickstarted I think that idea of you know when we're sharing first drafts, like please do popcorn comments in the chat so that the writer can see, so that everybody in the community, so that it's an ongoing conversation about your work, right? Say things that stood out to you, say things that you know excited you or like made you think more. And so that would all be saved and kind of passed to the playwright after. So that, but again, that was with an emphasis, especially with the Latinx Playwright Circle, their, um, their uh, I believe, literary director, literary manager, um, Nelson Diaz Marcano, really, he's one of my mentors and he's a Puerto Rican playwright as well. And his emphasis is really on community outreach and community building. So he was trying to figure out how, you know, during the pandemic, he just started this group. And, and it grew and grew and grew. So that's the, the popcorn comments are, are to get everybody involved, right? Because we don't just want to sit, right? We go to a theater, you know, we don't just want an audience to sit in silence unless very specific moments, right? But we want them to react. We want to hear little gasps, laughs, you know, anything. We really just want to hear anything. Um, so I think that comes from from that. And I think I've, I've people who've been at the Latin Experience Circle have tried to also carry that with them through Zoom. Um, yeah. Yeah, and Javier, you have also like uh, thinking, uh, uh, continuing like this topic of the uh, tema de la comunidad, right? It's also like uh, thinking about your short uh, film inspired by uh, Manuel Ramos Loteros, a very important queer Puerto Rican writer, right? Like the, the short film is also like about community, right? It's about like, and, and it's, a, it's very uh, meta, right? In that, in the sense of uh, thinking itself through the community and thinking Manuel Ramos Otero through community. So maybe you can like uh, share a little bit on, on, on that. Yeah, um, Patitos Comiendo Arroz is the chapter that um, Jose Pepe Alvarez sent to me and, and said, I would love to see what you can do with this. And we just had different conversations, took us in different directions, uh, very open and I would say almost loose. And then slowly I just came through with this kind of map of images all happening, all being shot in this apartment uh, where several members of the company actually lived the backyard, the basement. And it's an improvisation, really, the whole time. It's like an open game. No one really knows what is going on in the piece. It's just evocative, almost alter ego of ourselves, and but also a, a very clear uh, play of, of gender roles, of makeup and, and different, you know, um, uh, wigs, uh, facial hair, uh, people, you know, dressing up, uh, and a very obscure kind of narrative. And what I was doing was really, yes, uh, creating this. I, I remember having a sense while reading Manuel Ramos Otero of things changing quickly or, or of the ephemeral and thinking that the company one day, I mean, it's one of our obsessions in the, in the theater is that, that things really just end. And so I remember feeling that that moment was going to change or that it was not going to last. At that moment, I, I mean the way we were all together here. And so I, with that in mind, created a, a, a piece around a group uh, playing around, a group of people playing around, relaxing, uh, joking. We don't quite know what it is that they're doing, uh, except just like kind of reveling in their like joy uh, in the little theatrical games uh, with some obscurity, but also with a lot of a sense of play. I know, Javier, you say you've been in New York 20 plus years or so, yeah? 
It's 19, actually. It's going to be 20 very soon. All right. All right. And Daniela, you grew up here? Yes, I did. Okay. So, you know, we were thinking about sort of the New York City tradition of like queer culture, spaces, and activism, but not but but specifically in the context of like Puerto Rican, Black and Latinx uh, figures, these sort of groundbreaking figures, would would you say that that your work or maybe just the communities that you're a part of, that that it's in dialogue with this sort of history of these different spaces and, and communities? I mean, I know, Daniela, you mentioned your your sort of mentorship uh, with previous playwrights and then they're like you're you you come from a long chain of of amazing female playwrights <laughs> but um you know how how would you connect what you write or your works in general with that sort of history of activism and queer culture and that sort of thing for for me i think it's still trying to um discover those um playwrights especially latinx playwrights and and plays because i just i i had nobody to show me those until more recently so i'm still kind of trying to digest and and take in as, as much as i can um but when i learned that i mean one of the greats maria irene fornez that she she was queer i think she was she was gay um and that you know she's she's one of the greatest like she's she's around for so long she's directed over she wrote over 40 50 plays and directed them you know um so that was kind of i watched a small documentary on her and that was kind of inspiring just to know and the way that she used to create and she can create something out of nothing she would take like little postcards and she would like shuffle them and then pick something and then she would write a whole play based off that one postcard I love that. Yeah, I, I I teach my students about that when we when we do her plays in my class as well. I'm like, like you could just come up with a whole story from one little postcard. <laughs> yeah, and and I would say that now in in the theater scene that and especially from Intar, there's a playwright. His name is um, he goes by I think they he he they uh, see Julian Jimenez, and he's somebody who's had his work at Intar and is super queer and fantastical and wonderful. And so I'm kind of, I feel like coming up with these playwrights who are who are really just starting to get into a more mainstream theater, who are queer um, playwrights. Javier? <laughs> well, I think of two things. I, I think about the spaces where we've been like pregones for sure. I think our production, first production of Zoe Trope is what it is because we were there, because we developed it there for some time into residencies. And I am talking of its aesthetics and through that way about it's in a way queerness. I think um, also with Yati, where we were a couple of times at their festival, Inter as well, Latea. But I, when it comes to activism, I, to me, there are so many levels to directing a show and to working in, a, in collaboration. So I, I kind of allow each show to kind of be its own thing. Um, so in, the, in that way, I, I also, when I think of playwrights who are activists, I think of all of them. I think of Pietri, I think of Bofil, I think of Rojo Robles, I think of so many people of my generation. Uh, I mean, I think of René Marquez, somebody that I am obsessed with and who is, a lot of his shows are coming back uh, soon, uh, you know, that he will be celebrated quite, quite a bit. So, and I think of Eduardo Machado, of course, and his play, The Cook. Uh, it's, it's, it's not, you know, nobody, might call it political theater is a 300% political theater and uh and so beautiful so i i there is engagement in my activism i try to uh do activism outside of my writing as well and let my writing be this kind of distillation of all of it together so i kind of have that conversation with these people well in in my head really and, and in my and through my writing of course uh, hablando de los temas sociales, talking about like uh, social topics, social political topics, uh, uh, can both of you elaborate on how you use your writing to address social political issues, if that is something that happens in your place? Uh, but in a specific, uh, from the point of view of Puerto Rico uh, or Puerto Rican uh, communities in the U.S. I think of, of her story, you know, her story, it's... Um... It's a play we presented last year and we was with In Tandem Lab. This was developed by three women, Gisela Cardenas, Heather Hollingsworth, and Laura Bodler Rivera. 
And it's a take on the women from The Tempest, the women that are mentioned in The Tempest, but that do not really have scenes except for Miranda. So it's, and The Tempest being in an island and then including like colonizers in a way. Uh, well, of course, it speaks through a lot of, um, it speaks through a lot of the themes that I myself, you know, delve into with Puerto Rico. So that play, um, it is mainly about women and, and, it's a very affecting piece of generations of women passing on through multiple generations and, and stolen and taken babies, basically a very strange world. And I feel like there is no way it is not about Puerto Rico. The last scene is in Puerto Rico and somehow it ends when the gentrification crisis of today in Santurce specifically with people from Texas who have bodybuilding cash. And don't ask me how, it all makes sense and it in front of an audience it came together as a, a cohesive piece that ends with something that was not brought to me but that i just put there I, it's not even an epilogue i just brought this in and said this is how it ends with this character in a hostel in santurce and uh now the play revolves around that so to me puerto rico enters sometimes my writing just directly like a truck and some other times <laughs> some other times not mentioned you know uh but the sea the relationship to plastic and the sea strange dynamics of power in in the you know bureaucracy and offices you know those things just kind of come through in a way uh, the scarcity mentality, certain things just come through in a way. Uh, scarcity mentality from above, I mean. I. It's funny because I, I feel like I've never, when I was growing up, I never, and, it, and it's this is crazy to me because my my mother was the the chair of the Puerto Rican and Latino Studies Department at Brooklyn College for about fifteen years, and. But because my education was so Eurocentric growing up, I didn't understand the importance of her job until literally maybe like a handful of years ago, you know, and that's, I, I didn't, I was like, oh, what is this like subject you're teaching? Like they already teach history. Like, why are you teaching that? Like, what is the point? And now it's insane to grow up and be like, oh my gosh, how hard she had to fight to keep that, that department going because they wanted to merge it with others and they didn't think it was as important, you know, and it's, and like, that's the world we live in. So it's interesting when you talk about Puerto Rico, because I, I, I pretty much go every summer to visit my abuelo over there. He's in Adjuntas kind of near the mountains. And that's my connection to Puerto Rico. And I have this, I have this connection to, I feel like a lot of Puerto Ricans have such a connection to Puerto Rico, even if they've never been there. Um, so lately it's, it's interesting. And I, and with all the, the, the storms and disasters and the lack of help that Puerto Rico is getting, the neglect from, you know, here, I think the, I would say, you know, the spirits, the energy are speaking to us. I think all, all you know, kind of Puerto Rican artists at the moment, no matter what form of art you do. So my, I never expected to write about Puerto Ricans, but of course, if I write a family play, it's about Puerto Ricans because I'm Puerto Rican, right? So it went from there to then my Chupacabra play, which that play was about me finding joy. I was like, how do I find joy? And it came through an angel and a little monster, right? A Chupacabra folktale. And now my <laughs> next play is, is, more of my revolution of about Puerto Rico, which I never expected to do either. Uh, my next play is about um, how kind of trauma affects memory in this, um, with a mostly group of women being hunted by the government in Puerto Rico. So, you know, I, I'm working that out and that's becoming super political, which I never expected. And to, to try to find those answers of, you know, what is this play about? I went to Puerto Rico a few months ago and I was sitting on the balcony outside in the dark, listening to the, you know, the cookies um, <laughs> making sounds. Mm -hmm. And I remember asking, like, I was sitting there and I was like, what is this play about? Like, can you help me? You know, help me, help me with this play. I, I'm a little confused of what I'm supposed to do. And I kid you not, a moment later, something flew by me. I was like, what is that? And it was on the, on the ventana, like there. And, and I, I go inside, I take a picture, I go inside. And I'm like, Abuelo, what is this? What is this like creature? And he goes in Esperanza. And I was like, which means hope. And I was like, whoa, they answered me. <laughs> you know, so how do we... I think, how do we, I'm, I'm exploring now, like, how do we give hope? You know, how do we figure out 
what we need and how can we help others. And a great example lately is the one of my cousins in Puerto Rico has a non-for-profit called Mi Patria. And, you know, it's a whole bunch of non-for-profits that are helping the island and helping each other and helping restore and helping rebuild. Um, and I think that's so important and important to highlight and remember. Love what you when you brought up like your your mother chairing the department and that struggle and how that can and and how you now see that sort of connection because we're professors in a department that just established a major on Black and Latino studies, right? And so we're kind of like we had to fight to even get that seat at the table here to have these works that are written by, you know, Puerto Ricans living here in New York that we can share with our students to show them like, hey, you know, this is relevant to the here and now, and it's relevant to the history and to your future, you know, where you came from, et cetera. I think that's, those are the tools that we want to have to be able to share with our students down the line. So I'm very grateful for you all having these these works out there in the world. Yeah, shout out to Professora Maria Perez y Gonzalez. Yeah, uh, she, <laughs> I was part of the uh, of the Puerto Rican and Latino Studies Department for three years, and it was like very like formative experience. Yeah, under the leadership of uh, of Professora Maria Perez y Gonzalez. So yeah, I know the struggle, uh, but I know also the joys of of centering. Uh, our culture, our history, right, and, um, and the ways that we definitely need to stand our ground in the academic spaces to defend uh, our knowledge and uh, our ways of being in the world, right? Uh, so I'm glad that uh, that has been part of the conversation today as well. And I know you're not alone, Daniela, because I, you know, I teach a class on Latinas and my students will be like, I, I never read a book by a Latina author or, you know, even my introductory classes, they're like, we never learned about Latin America in history class. Like they, it's, it doesn't even cross their radar until it does. And then it opens up this whole world for them. It sounds very similar to your experience, which is, you know, be a great thing for me to share with them in the future. Yeah, absolutely. Oh no! I also wanted to, I wanted to say that um, the writer Kiara Alegria Hudes, um, she's Puerto Rican, and I mean, she I think she's one of the biggest names right now. You know, um, creating works like that, and I just saw her play at Signature Theater, My Broken Language, mm -hmm. and you know, she kind of tells her story about why she writes, and I could I could connect with that. And her, you know, she says she sees her family right on stage she gets to create this for her but also at the end she you know she says that she's queer which i didn't know and i thought that was so that was so awesome and i was like wow okay you know we we are here <laughs> you know we are making grounds and and we're creating our our own canon right like i think that's what we're all kind of doing right now and fighting for is this new canon of works I would like us also to talk a little bit about spaces, like and reception in different spaces, like thinking about Puerto Rico, thinking about New York. We have been talking about uh, the two spaces, geographies, yeah. Uh, imagine enclosures as well, right? Uh, but uh, if we, if you would like to compare the reception of work, your work in different spaces, perhaps in Puerto Rico uh, and New York, or perhaps New York and other uh, uh, cities, or uh, since we also have like the experience of the pandemic, how, how the abstract space of Zoom perhaps uh, could be like, how do you like have experienced the reception of your work in this in all these different spaces, physical spaces, abstract spaces, imagined spaces, perhaps, right? Uh, just thinking about reception and thinking about relationship with audiences, relationship to uh, communities, etc. I mean, I love that question. I, I wonder sometimes what audiences actually think uh, coming out of the theater. I. I'm, I'm very lucky these days to have, you know, places that are asking me back and universities like Barnard, where I'm going to be again this year. That's where I did a Zoom show, not of my writing, but it was directing and it was definitely a new experience doing a whole show live on Zoom with actors all over the country. So thankfully, I'm going to be back there um, in terms of different spaces where Caborca has been. Likewise, we have been in most of the Latina theaters in the in the city and and thankfully we maintain like a good communication. So I 
not don't quite know how to answer the question beyond that like being very lucky and feeling grateful that we continue to like grow an audience uh that doesn't mean it's easy to get an audience during after the pandemic it, i've talked to different people and the, the struggle is there but that's kind of a different thing just i think it, a disconnect has taken place in general people are feel differently as they did before but i can say i yeah, I just, I just, it's a, it's a good time to for us in in that in when it comes to community being at Clemente Sotoveles again for for Body Mix, uh, being at the New Ohio, we're gonna be there in February and a Body Mix next week. So it it just um, I'm feeling grateful these days about that. Um, I don't hear a lot more about the critical uh, the critique of our work unless it's written and published. I really don't hear a lot. So. <laughs> <laughs> Javier, recently uh, uh, there was a, uh, an event, right, uh, uh, yeah. uh, that I considered uh, an event of self-reflection in un espacio seguro en la Universidad de Puerto Rico. And uh, when thinking about this question, I also was like thinking about that, right? Because that was an event about like thinking uh, about two very important and groundbreaking productions that were claiming spaces, right? But also that allowed, yeah, the cast, the, the production team, but also audiences to actually like be in conversation in a new way. Yeah, so maybe you can share a little bit on that as well. Thank you. Yes, uh, Rojo, it was called Un Espacio Seguro and a Safe Space. And it was a reflection on two clandestine productions and a bit more of uh, a couple of more events that took place in the theater of the University of Puerto Rico when it was closing, when it was closed in early 2000s. Uh, it was closed for about five to six years, so money disappeared, so we didn't have it. And we found a way to break in and did a couple of productions there, mainly, uh, there, mainly by Aristides Vargas, written by Aristides Vargas, La Edad de la Ciruela and El Deseo Más Canalla. And so 20 years later, uh, after many conversations with many people, I decided to at least bring everybody together on the stage and reflect since it was actually quite dangerous and I, one of the things I love about the theater today is how much it's changing the works as a workspace, as a space that is much safer now than it was ever before, how it is definitely inclusive in matters of access, matters of treatment, and we can go down the line of so many things that are changing and it feels wonderful uh, to be in that changing landscape where theater has been, as we know, uh, a very oppressive space for in, in certain spaces. And so it allowed us to reflect on the whys and uh, reconnect, tell a couple of anecdotes, and then there were more reflections about the Aristides Vargas work in Puerto Rico, which has been now, now over 20 years of many productions uh, of his work. Uh, he's produced more in Puerto Rico than I think anybody else, probably, uh, than any other Puerto Rican playwright, and that is a really special phenomenon. And Aristides was my professor and a professor of many in our world, uh, playwriting and directing, semiotics. So it's a... Uh, Speaking of all of this uh, teacher's professors, he's, it's important also to bring him back because the event also brought back really thinking about his legacy uh, and that of his company in Puerto Rico, Malayerba. What about you, Daniela? Yeah, thinking about different, and again, like uh, restating the question, thinking about different spaces and how is, uh, the reception changes or is transformed depending on where you present your work. Yeah, um, I mean, I could just speak on the the Zoom versus my in person reading. It was it was great seeing the popcorn comments. I and but you know we couldn't hear anybody laugh, <laughs> right? We couldn't hear <laughs> any other reactions. So it felt very personal for me just to kind of watch the actors. Um, but it was stimulating to read the comments. So then versus in person, it was great. It was amazing to hear a lot. You know, you, you, it's different when you're in the room. You need to be in the room to feel the energy of the audience and the people and how your work is kind of being received. So it was amazing to hear, but it was just different stimulation. Um, but it is interesting to kind of, I, I have taken note of places where I've gone to see work that was queer and specifically queer um, by Latinx artists. So some places I can just shout out that I've seen work that I would like to work at, you know, New York Theater Workshop, Ars Nova, um, Pipeline Theater, you know, and some of these are actual theaters and some of these are theater companies that help produce work. And those are places that I've just been looking at and just to see how they take care of, of you know, of an artist and what opportunities they give them. But also it's interesting, I just want to see 
this is at 5959, which is kind of on the Upper East Side. This was a play by Andrew Rincon, who's a queer playwright. He's Colombian and, and his play was called I Wanna Fuck Like Romeo and Juliet. And that was the first play that I've seen. It's a small space in 5959 in the theater specifically that they were in. They were in the smallest theater, but it was one of the most utilized spaces I've seen in that theater. I used to work there when I was younger as an usher. So going back and seeing that work and, and it was queer and it had, you know, mythology and it was and it had some Spanish in it. You know, he mixed in some Spanish and, and there's always a conversation of, you know, what plays they put up and does it have Spanish or not? And that's sometimes a deciding factor whether a play goes up or not, which is frustrating. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. But that was a play that I saw that was unapologetically what it was, which was beautiful, queer, it was healing, you know, and it was powerful and it was hilarious. It was so funny, but it was interesting to hear that the night I went was queer Latinx night. So, you know, there's, I saw so many people I love and it was amazing and we were laughing and we were engaging and I had a conversation with a few people and those artists didn't get that some other days. Sometimes they got silence during a performance when there were people there, you know, so who's going to see certain shows, um, matters you know in what spaces and 59 e59 is a very you know a white theater as a lot of the theaters i say i would say most theaters are mm -hmm. you know so it's interesting mm -hmm. and those nights specifically those community nights right are the are really important for for artists of color um and i think that's just very interesting and that's made me very aware of like who what kind of groups of people are seeing certain shows and where mm -hmm. so i mean you you've both of you actually throughout the course of our discussion have named a few works or or playwrights or theater groups and stuff but um we like to wrap up our episodes with different recommendations based on the topic that we're covering and so we're just curious if you had maybe like a like a, a laundry list type approach to uh, recommending queer playwrights theater groups performers or other artists that our listeners might check out just you know i like i said i know you've mentioned a few of them to begin with but kind of like summing it up <laughs> i'd say eduardo is worth revisiting uh machado and uh rene marquez is 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 worth revisiting manuel ramos otero is getting uh is, uh, some new attention uh from puerto rico and and so that that is wonderful queer perhaps in, in a different definition but Pedro Pietriz as well in a way my references are still uh, mis referentes como decimos en español are, are still pretty uh, classical and as you can tell male and so that's something that I challenged you know that, I, that I've tried to challenge in different places but it, when it comes to Latina playwrights I, I it's possible I'm limited in, in that in that sense let me think on more because there are so many. I mean, when, <laughs> when it comes to influence, one is influenced by so much and so fast, like you mentioned Juan Jimenez and uh, at Intar. And, and I, you know, I've known him for some, some over a decade uh, and shared his the path with him. And of course, Brandon Jacobs Jenkins, for example. I wrote a list down, actually. I was like, where is it? Because these are people I want to look up more and read more of their work. But some people I've mentioned, um, and I'm going to mention just also just current people also in my community, because I think it's so important just to uplift and shout out. But yeah. um, so Andrew Rincon, uh, C. Julian Jimenez, um, there's a, uh, I saw this person's show and and she's a, a trans playwright. Her name is Mara Velez Melendez, um, Arturo Luis Sorria. And then there's Milo Cruz and Luis Alfaro. So I'm just gonna shout out some some people. And, but, you're, but you're right; it is mostly mostly male, also that I know, right? Um, when it comes to you know, I, I've kept on going back to aesthetics and aesthetics because to me, my world of queerness really maybe comes from uh, external influences, visual, the visual world as well. So I always mention it. Taller otra cosa en Puerto Rico. Eduardo Alegría, of course, Alegría Rampante, the work of Jose Pepe Álvarez, Mickey Negron, you know, the, the world, uh, that explosion of queerness and performance in Puerto Rico, taking place in Puerto Rico right now. And I, I observe it quite closely because it also informs us, you know, it, it's really, there, there are those places that are between performance and, and playwriting. I'd love to see them come together more. But to me, and friendship like, as well. What's that? 
and friendship, like you say, performance and oh, playwriting yes, and, and friendship. friendship. Yeah, yeah. Yes, of course. Yeah. <laughs> and to see them come. And, and I, I love you mentioned friendship because it has been something that Daniela has, you know, come back to, you know, sp spaces that are really, um, I don't mean comfortable, but safe or, you know, or spaces where, where one can open, you know, open up and write yeah. from yeah being safe for like the latina community but also for queer community like bringing those two things together and and creating a, a safe space that embodies both of them right not just a queer white space for example or a latina space being able to bring those two things together i think it, it sounds like it's been at the core of a lot of the things that that you have written and created um you know, even just in the last couple of years, but of course, throughout the entire time you've been writing. I think we, uh, our time is up, uh, but we want to uh, thank you. Darles las gracias. Darles uh, un abrazo virtual, right? Uh, it has been uh, a pleasure uh, speaking with you, right? Uh, learning from you, like uh, exchanging ideas. Uh, I'm thinking about like community writing, uh, theater performance uh, uh, with you all. Uh, Rebecca, you want to say something? <laughs> no, I'm just uh, thank you so much for joining us today. It was really great to get perspectives from different playwrights that, you know, we've done interviews before where we're just talking with one individual, but to have both of you contributing your your varied perspectives on the on your experience has been really really eye-opening and really helpful. Uh, you know, one of the things we like to do is share with our students the different options and different paths and how there's no one journey. And so I think having both of you on today has been really great for that because there's absolutely overlap in what you've been saying, but you each still have your own unique experiences, which they'll love to hear about. So thank you. <laughs> thank you for having me. Yes, thank you so much. This is great. <laughs> <laughs>I really enjoyed having this conversation with both Javier and Daniela, and we hope that you all enjoyed listening to it. It was really great to hear their different experiences, especially in conversation with one another. Right, I think that together they were able to provide insight on their writing processes and on what it's like to work with different theater collectives. And I really appreciated them sharing their experiences of being queer and Latinx and what that's meant for them in their own careers. Yeah, for me, it was really interesting to think through different takes on, on queerness with them. Uh, for instance, for Javier, queerness is a playful embodiment that comes from nightlife and being in the company of queer creators. And for Daniela, queerness has a more spiritual connotation and exploration of states of being beyond gender. Yeah, it, I mean... And not that we didn't all know this, right? But there is no one way to be queer. And I think this is just a perfect example of how how this is embodied among different individuals who work in the same area, but have their own unique experiences, right? Yeah, also, like, it was really interesting how they're also, like, uh, they think of themselves as uh, people who are learning about the uh, uh, queerness and Latinx theater uh, at the same time and exploring and defining and redefining themselves based on, on what is happening, yeah, in the uh, theater environment and the queer creators that are participating in it. The fluidity in their own experiences of queerness and their experiences of intersecting queerness with Latinidad. Mm -hmm. All right. So before we head out, we want to just recommend a couple of things for you if you're interested in learning more about the queer Latinx theater communities or if you want to read any plays written by uh, queer Latino creators. Yeah, so I would like to recommend the anthology Not the Time to Stay, which brings to light the marvelous but surprisingly underperformed and underdiscussed work of queer Puerto Rican playwright Victor Fragoso for the first time. The anthology consists of eight plays edited and translated by Consuelo Martinez Reyes. All of them are connected by topics like the difficulties of migration, the clash between U.S. American and Puerto Rican societies, the oppression suffered by Latinx people in the U.S., homelessness and domestic violence, among other topics. 
Uh, of a special interest is the play Noir in 1974 for those researching abolition thought and debates about funding community services instead of the police. Fragoso presents the circumstances that generated the Puerto Rican rebellion against police brutality in 1974 in New Jersey and the discourses surrounding it. Uh, he analyzes the amount of official and unofficial political power Puerto Ricans held in Noir and presents debates about issues still relevant in 2022 affecting the Puerto Rican community and methodologies of grassroots mobilization. Uh, the book allows for a rediscovery, of course, of Ragoso's work, a visionary of social themes, literary and theater practices. And now, finally, available also in English. It sounds like it, it's it's got so much in this one book, right? Just the plays, but also the analysis, that, that timely... Uh, timeliness of it, which is unfortunate in some cases, right? Because you're talking mm -hmm. about Newark 1974. Why yeah. should it still be relevant nearly 50 years later? But it is, right? Yeah. And yeah, this is a play that I have uh, read with my students, my current students in the Latinx literature class. And it, had, it was very interesting how also they like uh, when discussing it, they brought a lot of uh, events, political events, so-called riots or actually we consider them uh, rebellions. Right. Thinking about that era and the, the interconnected events of rebellion uh, of black and Latinx people allowed us to understand the present and allowed us to understand, for example, the, the protests in 2020, right? Yeah, that's fantastic. I'm definitely going to have to check that out. And, you know, I don't want to take all the things you're teaching, but uh, <laughs> I always love good ideas. <laughs> <laughs> the more people can learn about Fragoso, the better. Yeah, so exactly. <laughs> everybody's welcome to, to enjoy it and to read and to learn from Fragoso. <laughs> Well, I'm going to recommend a play uh, that can be read that is by another queer Latinx playwright. Um, the, the play is Fade, and it's by the Mexican-American playwright Tanya Saracho. Uh, listeners might know Saracho as the television showrunner for Vida, which aired on Stars from 2018 to 2020. But before Saracho entered the world of television, she wrote numerous plays, like I think 20 or so plays. It's very prolific. Yeah. and. And I think that's a logical jump, right, from theater to television. There is similarities in the structure there. Fade was the last play that she wrote, and it was written in 2016. And it makes sense uh, if Bida started in 2018 because she needed some time to kind of develop the storyline for the show before she tried to sell it and then film it. Saracho herself identifies as queer, and this can be seen in, in a lot of her writing. Vida is no exception. Fade doesn't focus on sexuality as much, but it does tell the story of Lucia, who is a Mexican-born novelist, who, when she gets her first TV writing job, feels a bit out of place on the white male-dominated set. Now, Lucia quickly becomes friends with the only other Latino around, of course, a janitor named Abel. As Abel shares his stories with Lucia, similar plots begin to find their way into her TV scripts. Fate is a play about class and race within the Latinx community, as well as at large, and how status does not change who you are at your core. So it, it's another one that really works with these intersections of queer Latinidad. Yeah, and also to think about like intertextuality. Yeah, as you said, like there's a lot of uh, commentary about like writing for TV within the play. So that is very interesting how to think about TV from the point of view of a, of a play, of a theater play, right? Mm -hmm. And we kind of have to question because she had begun doing some writing for television. She wrote for Devious Maids and as well as a few other shows starting in 2013. If there's not perhaps something semi-autobiographical in there, you know, we can't assume, mm -hmm. but um, but we've seen it before, right? We've seen it before with fictional works where people include some of their their autobiographical experiences that they might not necessarily be as ready to confront uh, openly, but would rather instead do it through fiction. I don't know if that's the case here, but uh, there are some interesting parallels. Excellent. Sounds very interesting. I will have to check it out as well. So thank you for joining us for this episode. Before we sign off, we want to share some feedback and comments that we got from a listener in one of our season one episodes. 
Yeah, responding to our episode with Carla Cornejo Villavicencio, another Latinx queer writer, Eric Martinez Valerio said, uh, Carla Cornejo Villavicencio genuinely cares about the stories and the people she writes about. I remember her saying in the podcast that the writing is not meant to appease anyone. There is true in that because when you try to appease the reader, you will try to end the story with achievements or something resulting from hard work. Rather, what Villavicencio is demonstrating is that the hard work still isn't over for a bigger portion of undocumented immigrants, and they are still working under harsh conditions to make the bare minimum in this country. She does not want to mention the experiences of those under DACA because she feels they won't share the same situations as those working as delivery personnel or in construction. Villavicencio doesn't want to sugarcoat anything, which I also agree with. In doing so, Carla shows the lives and perspective of undocumented immigrants, those who are usually erased from our conversations. I love that, you know, it's it's been a year since we did that interview with uh, Cornejo Villavicencio, and we're still getting comments and feedback on what she talked about in that episode. So, you know, we really appreciate getting those comments and that feedback and just your insights into the content of our episodes. Keep them coming. So thanks for that message, Eric. We really appreciate your comments. And remember, you too can share your comments with us. Let us know what you thought of our conversation with Javier and Daniela, or maybe you could just recommend some additional queer Latinx plays and playwrights that we could look at in the future. You can always reach out to us on social media or by email. Follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at Latinx Visions. Our email address is latinxvisions at gmail.com. We love to include your thoughts in a future episode. Next season, we will be looking at New York City Latinx communities. Subscribe to us on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Share us with your friends and family. Subscribe and leave a five-star review on both Apple and Spotify if you can. Estamos a la escucha. We will be back in 2023. Así que, until then, nos vemos. Dale, until next year. 